between you and the internet stands a company. Maybe it is called Verizon or AT&T or Comcast or Cox. That last piece of the pipeline connecting you to the world, it belongs to them, your internet service provider. And in that inescapable relationship, what rights belong to you? What rights belong to them? Net neutrality is the idea, as most people understand it, that ISPs are practically public utilities and should have almost no right to limit where you can go on the internet or the speed at which content creators can get their data to you. They cannot, for example, make you pay more to connect with Facebook or shut you out of Facebook altogether. They can't make Netflix pay extra to move its video at a decent speed, a cost that would surely get passed on to you. The Obama administration liked net neutrality and made it the rule. The Trump administration repealed it. Its main argument being that net neutrality is a soft idea, it is unnecessary regulation, and it is detrimental to innovation. So which is it? Well, with lawsuits coming in response to the Trump appeal and actions in at least 20 states across the nation, we think this sounds like it has the makings of a debate. So let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Preserve net neutrality All data is created equal. I'm John Donvan, and I stand between two teams of two experts in this topic who will argue for and against that resolution. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and then our audience here at the Northwestern Pritzker School of Law in Chicago will choose the winner. And if all goes well, as always, civil discourse will win as well. I just want to remind you, if you haven't yet voted, you have one more chance to cast your first vote Go to the website on a browser on your mobile device to the site iq2us.org forward slash vote, iq2us.org forward slash vote. You will get prompts to vote for, against, or undecided, which is a perfectly reasonable starting position. We're going to keep that open for just a minute more. And remember, we give victory to the team whose numbers change the most between the first and the second vote. Our motion is this, preserve net neutrality, all data is created equal. Let's meet the team first arguing for the motion, starting, ladies and gentlemen, with Mitchell Baker. Hi, Mitchell. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. You are executive chairwoman of Mozilla, the maker of Firefox. Folks, if you like Firefox, she's on the team that gave it to you. You have been named one of of Time Magazine's most Uh, 100 Most Influential People in 2012, inducted into the Internet Hall of Fame. Uh, Mitchell, you are often described as an advocate for the open web and open source, but in a sentence or two, what exactly does that mean? (laughs) Well, the open uh, open source is a really collaborative and sharing development practice, and the open Internet is, as we know, the Internet that we've been accustomed to, and I'm drawn to them because they have opportunity for all of us. Okay, thanks very much. And can you please tell us who your partner is tonight? Yes, my partner is the mighty Tom Wheeler. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Wheeler. So, Tom, you were chairman of the FCC under President Obama. It was during your tenure that net neutrality regulations were put into place. Um, You have also been president of the National Cable Television Association, CEO of Cellular Telecommunications and Internet Association. When President Obama uh, announced your nomination to the FCC, he said you were the Bo Jackson of telecom. For those who don't know, who is Bo Jackson? And what did Obama mean by that? (laughs) 
Uh, well, John, he played here in Chicago. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, so let's start there. But, but, but Bo Jackson, uh, the only uh, professional athlete to, uh, to play both professional football and professional baseball and be an all-star in both. However... I do think the president was probably engaged in a little over-the-top rhetoric. <laughs> what he said. All right. Thank you. Again, the team, ladies and gentlemen, arguing for the motion. And we have two debaters arguing against it. Please first welcome Nick Gillespie. Right. Nick, welcome back to Intelligence Squared, one of our favorite debaters, your editor-at-large of Reason, co-host of the Reason podcast. Uh, widely seen as one of the foremost libertarians uh, in, in America. You've been named... Uh, by the way, that is, uh, that's called being damned by, uh, with faint praise, but thank you very much. <laughs> According to your organization's website, you are, quote-unquote, almost certainly the only journalist to have interviewed both Ozzy Osbourne and Nobel laureates like Milton Friedman and Vernon Smith. And recently you sat down with current FCC chairman Ajit Pai. What's the, what's the theme that unifies all of these people? Uh, you know, uh, I, I didn't know this going in, but they have all bitten the heads off of bats. <laughs> <laughs> we did not know that until uh, yeah, this now, moment. Now it's, uh, now it, now it's out. <laughs> Nick, tell us, please, who is your partner? Uh, my uh, partner is Michael Katz. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Katz. <laughs> Michael, you are our economist. You're an economics professor at UC Berkeley. Uh, During the Clinton administration, you were also at the FCC as chief economist. You served at the Justice Department uh, at Berkeley. Uh, As I said, you're you're an economics professor there. But we have a question for you that maybe a lot of people in this room will relate to or not. Can you remember the very first time you had an interaction with the Internet? Um, Actually, barely, because it was over 30 years ago. But it was um, using something called Gopher. It actually was aptly named because you were burrowing around in the mud to try to find things on the Internet because this was all pre-World Wide Web. And so I'm someone who can testify to you the value of the web and how incredibly more convenient it is and powerful than it was when it started. So it's not just about the underlying infrastructure and the Internet. It's about what goes on top of it as well. Okay, thank you, Michael Katz. And again, the team arguing against the motion. And so to the debate itself, we move on to round one. Round one are opening statements by each debater in turn. They will be six minutes each. And Tom, you can make your way to the lectern. Speaking up first for the motion, in support of the motion, preserve net neutrality, all data is created equal, former FCC chairman Tom Wheeler. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Wheeler. Thank you. So thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and um, we're here to urge you to support the proposition for three simple and straightforward reasons. Number one, the Internet is the most powerful and pervasive platform on the planet. It does everything from deliver the world's knowledge to allow us to get a pizza delivered. It has changed our economy It has changed the way we live each of our lives. But, second point, when we go to access the Internet, the company that provides that service is typically a local monopoly. When we were doing our rulemaking, we found that three-quarters of American households had at most one choice— when it came to high-speed 
broadband Internet connectivity. And that leads to the third point. You've got a very important and crucial asset in the Internet. The access to it is not competitive. Therefore, there needs to be rules. And the question is, who makes the rules? Now, the network providers say, trust us, we'll make the rules. But I think what we'll find in the discussion tonight is that history does not substantiate that trust. You know, Michael was talking about the, uh, the age of the Internet. It's actually about 35 years old. And for the first 25 years, net neutrality reigned because we all remember the, the squeaky, screely, screeching modems that you had to plug into your phone jack in your house to connect your computer to the telephone network to get to the Internet? Well, that telephone network was a common carrier. And that meant that it had to take whoever came to it and deliver them to their destination. That's an important point that we'll talk a lot about tonight. This concept of common carrier, which says first come, first serve, non-discriminatory access. And it's only been in the last eight or ten years that this whole debate about net neutrality has developed because when the new digital networks came along, those who owned those networks said, oh, wait a minute, this is different. This is, this is different, and it needs to be regulated differently. And the FCC, under both Republican and Democratic administrations, tried to work its way through that. Let me give you an example. 2007, under a Republican FCC, Comcast decided to degrade the video coming in over the Internet that competed with their cable service. The FCC said, no, 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 no. The Republican FCC said, no, no, no. Comcast took him to court and said to the court, hey, we can discriminate because we're not a common carrier. And the court said, you're right, and overruled the FCC. In 2010, when my predecessor came out with the first open Internet rule, Verizon sued, went to the court, and stood in the well of the court. And the lawyer said to the judges, I have been instructed by my client that I may say that the reason why we are suing is we intend to discriminate. And there is the key issue in all of this. Should these local companies be allowed to discriminate in access to the most important network of the 21st century. I had the privilege, as John said, of chairing the FCC in 2015 when we said, no, it should be, you should be a common carrier and you should provide non-discriminatory access to anyone who wants to get to or from the Internet. And that's what the debate is about tonight. Because my worthy opponents want us to go back to the bad old days of discrimination. And what we need to be focusing on is a non-discriminatory equal access 
to the network. One quick closing thought. Last week we saw a lot of discussion about how much information Facebook has about each of us. Facebook is one website. The network that connects you to the Internet knows your traffic to every website. Your private information is known by the network, and unless there is common carriage net neutrality, there is no responsibility that they have to protect your privacy. So because of the fact that we don't have a competitive market, because of the fact that history says it worked early on and discrimination happened when it didn't exist, and because of the fact that your privacy ought to be protected, we urge you to strongly and enthusiastically support this resolution tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Tom Wheeler. Our next debater will be opening against the motion, preserve net neutrality, all data is created equal. He is speaking against. Here is Nick Gillespie, editor-at-large of Reason. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Gillespie. Thanks. Wow. Uh, you know, Tom, uh, well, you know, vote, uh, vote against net neutrality. And the reason why is because you, you remember the Patriot Act, Right? The Patriot Act. Who could be against the Patriot Act? It's for patriots. It's good. It's good. Net neutrality is good. It's, you know, everybody's neutral. Everybody's fair. That's great. We are not so dumb as to think that laws and policies, their names almost always mean the exact opposite thing. And what net neutrality is ultimately about, and I'll go into this in a little bit more detail, and uh, Michael will, uh, will really drive it home because he's the economist. I don't do math, unfortunately. Um, but you know, what net neutrality is about is about the government being able to say, we get to control your business model. Uh, Tom was talking about common carriers. I see a lot of young people out here. I see acres of diamonds out here. I see some old people. How many of you re- remember the great common carrier of Bell Telephone? Okay, a number of you. That's not, that's the past. That's the pre-internet past. And when you have common carrier, you get bad service. Uh, do people remember Lily Tomlin, uh, the comedian? She, uh, one of her big bits uh, was that she would be a phone service operator, and she would say, uh, we don't have to give you customer service because we're the phone company, and we don't want to. That's, that's the world of common carrier, as it is historically done. But... To go into my uh, prepared remarks, you know, the first time I want to thank John and uh, IQ Squared for having me back. The first time that I debated in one of these, all I had to do was defend uh, drug dealers, uh, heroin dealers who wanted to put uh, vending machines in grammar schools, things like that. Uh, and now it's like they've really made it much harder for me because somehow I'm gonna, I have to support ISPs. Do any of you love your ISPs? No, right? I mean, we all hate these types of people. They're necessary evils, but they are businesses, and our lives are better because of the Internet, and they are not the problem here. And net neutrality is, in the word of Ajit Pai, the policy of it, not the concept. The policy, uh, Ajit Pai actually told me in an interview in 2014 that it's a solution that won't work to a problem that doesn't exist. And I want to just kind of unpack that in my opening statement. It's, let's uh, look at first at how it's a problem that doesn't exist. 
How many of you have had uh, major troubles or, or persistent troubles of accessing any legal content online? Okay, nobody, right? That's one of, you know, if that would happen, uh, you know, that would be a violation of net neutrality. Um, we have a before, during, and after sequence now because the open uh, Internet uh, uh, ruling that Tom put into place was in place for two years. We had time before it, during it, and after it. Have you noticed massive changes other than constantly increasing speeds in what you can do online? No. Net neutrality is a concept. It is not a problem. Um, there, uh, back in uh, 2004, 2005, Michael Powell, a former FCC commissioner, said you know, there are basically four freedoms or four rights that define a kind of good Internet, an open Internet. And they were, among other things, one was the right to access legal content. You have the freedom, the right to access legal content. You have the, the right to access uh, apps that uh, don't, applications online that don't hurt the network or to put them online. You have the right to attach devices to the network, you know, phone, uh, cameras, all sorts of stuff, which, by the way, going back to Calman Carrier, uh, that was one of the things Bell Telephone never let anybody attach anything to the network because it was a common carrier. They got to, you know, it was a government monopoly, a government-supported monopoly. They got to call all the shots. We have the right to attach devices to the network, and we have the right to get information on our plan. We should be able to talk to our ISPs and say, you know, what, what's going on? Are you blocking certain sites? Are you changing things up? Are you not allowing me? What, what are my expected speeds going up and down? Um, un, contrary to what Tom said, 98% of Americans, according to the FCC's own data from the end of 2016, they, 98% of us have a choice of at least two ISPs offering 10 megabyte download speed. That's not great, but it's pretty good. 56% of us, and it's, it's more than enough for virtually everything most of us do unless you're uh, doing some unauthorized surgery. Um, and if you are, I'm a libertarian, so more power to you, but uh, you probably want to upgrade to a better package. Uh, 56% of us have download speeds at 25 megabytes or higher with uh, more, than two, uh, more than two competing ISPs working for your business. Uh, that's very good, and that's up from 40% six months before. What we are seeing are more ISPs offering more service to more households at higher speeds. There is not a problem with net neutrality. There is not a problem with throttling or blocking sites. So there isn't a problem. But, well, the solutions to this problem that don't exist, this is why they don't work. In the end, what net neutrality comes down to is the FCC says, under certain types of regulatory laws, we get to regulate your business model. We're not going to tell you whether you're right or wrong, but go ahead and try, and then we'll get back to you. That is an awful, awful way to regulate any kind of business. It chokes off all sorts of innovation, and it ends the sort of permission and permissionless innovation, which is the absolute calling card, both of the Internet as well as the sharing economy. I will stop there. Thanks. And again, vote against net neutrality if you believe in free speech, innovation, and a better America. Thank you, Nicholas. And a reminder of what's going on, we are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion. 
preserve net neutrality, all data is created equal. You've heard the first two opening statements and now on to the third. Debating in support of the motion, Mitchell Baker, chairwoman of Mozilla. Ladies and gentlemen, Mitchell Baker. Support net neutrality. It affects the Internet and our lives in three ways. One, who decides and controls what we can see and do online? Two, who decides whether new products are successful and what direction innovation takes? Three, it decides the amount of discrimination and self-dealing that sits at the core of the network of everything we do. So first, who decides what we see and can do online? When we click on a link or select an app, what happens? Do we get to see the site or the application we're aiming for, or is it suddenly not available? Without net neutrality, it does not need to be available to you. It's kind of odd to think that part of the Internet might not be there, but that's part of the discussion we're talking about. That's called, in the net neutrality world, blocking. Or, when you click on that link or select an app, maybe the site appears, but it's slow. It's really slow. Or the delivery of that information to you is so degraded that it's maybe even unusable. It's too jittery. It's too slow. The application doesn't work. That, in the net neutrality world, is called discrimination. And it is the point of what we're talking about. Now, an ISB, Comcast, Verizon, AT&T, you know, they can discriminate really on any reason. They can discriminate because they own a different product and they think they'll make more money out of it. That's an innovative business model of the type we just heard about. It is only good for the ISP. Or the ISP could discriminate against the app that you want to access because they have some sort of business arrangement, or maybe they're fighting with the company that makes your app. Or they could discriminate against the app you want to get to because they don't like those kind of apps. They weren't very happy about internet telephony because it didn't make money. Or they could discriminate because they don't like the content. Any of these things are included in the discrimination or the kinds of new business models that our opposition argues for. So, one, our choice as consumers and citizens on the Internet gets severely limited without net neutrality. Two, who decides what kind of innovation and new products can be successful? That's the reverse of the topic. Say I'm an app developer and I'm developing something new. Let's say, you know, it's something that's more secure. There's new cryptographic data. I can, I can help you do what you want with your data, but leak less of it so you control it more. Now, if the ISPs don't need to serve that to you, then I somehow have to find a way that I can make my product available to you. And as John said at the beginning, that way is through the ISP. There is no other way. So before I can offer my product to you, I have to offer it to the ISPs. And I have to convince them or get their approval to deliver it to you. And to deliver it to you quickly enough to make it usable. So now as an app developer, my first customer is not you. My first customer is the ISP. Maybe it wants money. Maybe I can find money and pay them. Maybe it wants data. Like, if the ISP doesn't like my product because they competing products give them data, then my product is not good for them. And they can say, I'm not going to deliver it to customers. You know, if you change your data practices, maybe I will. And so in that case, I, as the developer, cannot make the product I want for you. I cannot make it more secure. 
And then I have to go to all the other ISPs and have the same discussion. So the ability for innovation to cover a wide range is deeply limited. The lack of net neutrality is great for innovation for the ISPs. Five companies, even 10 if you double it in America, and it is terrible for all the rest of us. And all the innovative business models that might come out of everyone except the ISPs get limited by what works for the ISPs. And the third question, how much discrimination do we want in the network that is the basis for all of our activities? So Comcast owns NBC. That's a lot of content. The whole point of not having net neutrality is that the ISPs can have, quote, innovative business models, unquote, that benefits the content they like and profit from. So maybe if you're a Comcast subscriber and that's your option, you'll start to see a lot of content that's good for Comcast. If you're an AT&T subscriber, they're trying to buy Time Warner, which includes CNN. So maybe you'll start to get discrimination from AT&T with a different set of content. Or maybe Time Warner can't buy CNN because the government won't let it. Maybe it buys Sinclair News instead. And then if you live in a part of the country where there's AT&T as your choice, and AT&T is discriminating and trying innovative new business models with all the content that it owns, you might very well find your channels of information, including your news, tuned for the new business model that's profitable. Now, sometimes people say to me, oh, that's crazy. You know, businesses wouldn't do that. Uh, but, you know, people told me that when I first started talking about the dangers of Facebook and data. And that was nearly a decade ago. And so these sort of crazy businesses would never do that things have a way of happening. And so we are setting the framework right now. It might take another decade for these things to play out and we see what it looks like to have discrimination built in. But we are making the rules now. Does the next decade play out with a neutral network that delivers information to us based on where we find value? Or does this small set of companies get to pre-select what we see? And so I urge you, I hope you find the preciousness of neutrality in our infrastructure and take action, support the motion. Support net neutrality, all data is created equal. Thank you. Thank you, Mitchell Baker. And that is the resolution, preserve net neutrality. All data is created equal, and here to make his opening statement against the motion, Michael Katz, professor at UC Berkeley and former FCC chief economist. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Katz. Well, you know, advocates of net neutrality are always telling us about the great things it's intended to do, things like promote free speech and competition and innovation. But although I vaguely remember when I first used the Internet, I still remember sitting on my grandmother's knee as a small baby, and she said to me, she goes, Michael, the information superhighway to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> so what I want to do is, to, instead of talking about intentions, I want to talk about the inter- what net neutrality really does. Okay? Now, to do that, we've got to start by dealing with three foundational myths behind net neutrality. Myth number one is it's necessary to solve problems that would otherwise be there. Now, Nick's already taken care of that one, so I'm about to deal with the other two. Okay, the second myth is that net neutrality is neutral. Okay, one reason it's a myth is because different applications have different needs from the internet. 
Video conferencing needs a much higher speed signal and more reliable um, signal than something like email. So to say we're going to treat them equally is not to treat them equally. It's a much bigger problem for video conferencing. Now, one thing you'll notice, because I sort of go a little bit in back, we were all told to stand on some X's here. And I have tremendous respect for Tom, and I've worked with him over the years, but when he stood out in the middle and he told you that the Internet in the good old days was neutral, he was both literally and figuratively off the mark. Okay? <laughs> oh, and by the way, for those of you who are younger, literally means literally. Think about the logic. Okay. okay, because the fact is the NSF net, the precursor to the commercial internet, prioritized interactive traffic as it should. Now, there's a second reason that net neutrality is not neutral. We always hear this thing, oh, we need net neutrality because otherwise big powerful companies will have fast lanes. Well, you know what? They do. And it has nothing, it's nothing net neutrality is going to stop. Google, Facebook, Amazon, they spend literally billions of dollars because they have built private fast lanes. Google has, propri- or not Google, I apologize, Facebook has proprietary specifications for fiber. They build their own integrated circuits because the servers other people would have to use aren't good enough. So what does net neutrality have to do with this? Well, it ensures that ISPs can't help small firms have higher speed access. So if you have billions to spend on an internet of your own, net neutrality is a great thing. But if you need help, it's a problem. Now, the third myth is that all data are created equal. And I want to contrast two situations. In one, you've got a bunch of kids sitting around and they're playing Wolfenstein. Now, for those of you who are not up on your classic games, Wolfenstein is a multiplayer game that involves trying to kill Nazis with supernatural powers. The Nazis have the supernatural powers, not you. Okay? So, fine, you're using the Internet to do that. Over here, we've got a surgeon who's trying to do remote telesurgery to save somebody's life who lives in a remote area. Surgeon can't get there. According to net neutrality, those two are equally deserving. Okay? I don't subscribe to that view. Okay? All right, so now those are the myths it's built on. So let's talk about some of the things it does. Well, you know, we've heard a lot of concerns about censorship. Well, frankly, net neutrality is the threat to free speech. Just ask yourself this. Who do you think is a bigger threat to access to CNN.com and WashingtonPost.com? Is it an ISP that makes money because you pay it because you want to get access to the site? Or is it the Trump administration? Because what net neutrality is about is giving the Trump administration more power over the Internet that those websites depend on. Hey, let's talk about some other things it does. Competition. What you'll hear from net neutrality supporters is you've got to block competition to protect it. Yes, that is an oxymoron. Now, what do I mean by that? Because they say, well, we can't have firms paying more money in order to bring better services to their customers, that would be terrible. Well, let's think about what net neutrality would mean in other circles. Let's think about, say, Amazon or online providers. It would mean they can't provide free overnight shipping. Why? That's not fair. That's a fast lane. Or just think about any firm that wanted to do advertising, say, on Google or Facebook. Well, you can't allow that. That's paying for superior access to customers. We can't have people paying for superior access to customers. So what, internet, what net neutrality is really about when it comes to competition is blocking it, okay? not promoting it. Similarly, let's talk about low-income consumers. People often say, oh, we need to have net neutrality to protect people with low incomes. Well, it has the opposite effect. Net neutrality 
right? Well, if it's enforced, and sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't, when it's enforced, what does it do? It says if a content provider, an app provider, wants to help subsidize the Internet for low-income people, uh uh-uh, violation of net neutrality. And what about rural consumers? The way rural areas are going to get coverage is only if ISPs invest in the facilities. Well, what makes them invest in the facilities? Possibility of making money. If you impose open-ended and vague regulations that constrain these firms in known and unknown ways, you are reducing their incentive to invest in those rural areas. So, when you think about it, look beyond what net neutrality is intended to do, and you look at what it does do, you'll see that it harms competition, it harms consumers, it limits choice. Thank you. Thank you, Michael Katz. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is preserve net neutrality, all data is created equal. Now we move on to round two, and round two is where the debaters address one another directly by taking questions from me and from you, our live audience here in Chicago. Our motion is preserve net neutrality, all data is created equal. We have two teams debating this motion, the team representing the foresight, Mitchell Baker and Tom Wheeler. We have heard them argue that the Internet uh, represents a pervasive and powerful force in life, but that it's always, almost always functioning as a local monopoly. Um, they're arguing that uh, the bad old days of discrimination are what our opponent, their opponents want to go back to. They are arguing also that the situation is not competitive, that three-quarters of U.S. households have at most one choice for speed. They talk about the uh, potential for ISPs in a world without net neutrality to block and discriminate. They call uh, an absence of net neutrality actually an innovation killer because it gives ISPs the power to hold app developers uh, hostage and customers hostage to their content. Uh, So that's the team arguing for the motion, some of their argument. Now their opponents, uh, Nick Gillespie and Michael Katz, describe net neutrality as a concept for rather than a problem, and it's a problem that does not actually exist. They're suggesting that the record shows that uh, over the course of the history of the Internet during periods when there was not net neutrality, uh, these companies did not do the bad things that their opponents are saying that they would do. They're also arguing that, in fact, data is not created equal, that the needs of video and email are quite different from one another. Um, and... Um, they're, they make an example, for example, of the anti, what they say is the anti-competitive nature of the net neutrality rules, pointing out, for example, that an ISP, if it wanted to, could not subsidize low-income users uh, to, get, to get greater speed because that would be breaking the rules. So there's a lot here and many, many themes developing. Uh, there's the question of whether... Uh, these ISPs should be seen as a utility or not. There's the question of consumer choice. There's the question of fairness. And a little bit came up about free speech, and we'd like to get to all of those. But I want to first get a little bit into and then quickly out of the way something of a technical question, and there was a, there was a real stark disagreement on this question of whether there actually is, this actually is a competitive landscape or whether these ISPs are... Uh, are, are functionally monopolies. And you, the two sides had very, very different numbers. And it may just emerge that you're going to have different numbers and we can't resolve that. But I would like to just take 30 seconds from each of you to tell us where your numbers came from and restate, Tom, what you say is the, uh, is the degree of choice that Internet users have. So one of the things you want to make sure you don't do, John, is you don't want to fudge the count to get to the right answer. When I said three-quarters of American homes 
had at most one choice for high speed. That's 25 megabits per second and above. What Nick did was, first of all, lower the speed, which to his credit, he said, oh, this is only 10 and this really he doesn't did say count. That, yes. okay. I'm, to his credit, okay? But then he went the next step and talked about But at 25 megahertz, there's a different number. 56%. That number is calculated this way. You know, if you and I were sitting down and we say, how many people in the audience? We'd go, one, two, three, four, five, six. The way that number was calculated is the FCC came up with this con- concept that let's look at a census block. That, that part of the audience right over there. And if these two people in the front row have high-speed connectivity, then everybody in that entire census block has high-speed connectivity. And that is an assumption that is fallacious. Okay. Nick. So, uh, the, uh, Tom, uh, when, uh, when you were head of the FCC, you changed the definition of what counted as high-speed broadband. Uh, he changed it from 10 megabytes uh, downstream to 25 megabytes downstream. You would, and I, I don't think I'm putting Actually words... Actually changed it from 4 to yeah, 25. Right, okay. But, because uh, because yes. that's what you need in order to have... High-speed service, and it's... Well, no, okay, no, 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 no. Tom, let, let, yeah, let me floor. I, I mean, this is... What I'm saying is what Tom thinks high-speed Internet is is 25 megabytes per second. The average number that normally gets kicked around is 18, about 18 megabytes downstream. How many of you are gamers or pretty heavy gamers? God, this is the deadest audience. You, I mean, like, you're still talking... It's about, it's about 3%, just for people yes. who are not watching. But uh, 10 megabytes is actually a pretty, fast, is a pretty fast connection. You can game on 10 megabytes. And what I was saying is 98%, everybody in America has a choice of at least two fixed ISPs for that amount. And that is going up. When you go to 25 megabytes... The number goes down, but there is still competition, and it is growing. Okay, I want to move off this, but Michael, I'll give you 10 seconds on this. I defend myself. It was Wolfenstein classic. But this is the thing. I will say, because I'll dump on everybody, because that's what economists do. You're both stuck in the past. And this thing about Mm -hmm. the speeds, 5G is coming. When 5G comes, we're talking about having hundreds of megabits per second, and we're talking about having multiple providers if that investment occurs and net neutrality doesn't stop it. Okay. There's no point in looking at right, but, but the, the resolution is that you're, you're, you're both talking about variable speeds, and so that tells us to some degree why you're coming up with different numbers, and I just wanted to get clarity from myself But it is, but it, it is very important to say that, the, that ISPs have a monopoly, is, I think, is absolutely wrong. And I think we all do, know that. Let me ask Mitchell um, Baker. Do you, but there's also mobile carriers that come into let that Let me ask Mitchell well. Baker, do you see ISPs as having a monopoly? Yes, because... The question of monopoly is not whether there's two or three networks. It's what's actually available to you in your region at the time. So yeah, and if there's two or three... Wait, wait Nick, let her, let her finish, please. Yeah. Go, are you done? Yes. So he jumped in just when you were interrupting, and then I protected you. That's and okay. You were the saying, embodiment I, of I, net neutrality. Can, so can, can I tag on to my partner? I am the embodiment yeah, of net neutrality. Yes. Actually, I want to take regulation. All right, Tom. Can I tag on to my partner? You know, it's fascinating that the ISPs are out running commercials saying, because you have so many different devices in your home, you need to buy from us faster service. And that 
dissent, that disagrees with Nick's concept that, oh, you only need this low level of activity. Because no. as we all have more devices in the home, the demand for throughput out of that home increases. The companies are selling that. And I think, by the way, that you ought to pay more for that. That I've, I've always felt that, you know, 12 pounds of tomatoes ought to cost more than 10 pounds so, of tomatoes. So, Tom, do you agree, though, that, I mean, is the figure that essentially 100% of Americans have two or more uh, ISPs to get 10 megabytes from? That there is a thriving market. And, and by the way, that a monopoly, you can't have two firms and call it a monopoly. Duopoly. Okay, no, but, that, you know, they are, you know, Coke they, and Pepsi. Coke and Pepsi, you know, Republicans and Democrats. So the reality, and and the reality you, they is They will how, increase their speed. But, how, but they aren't. So here's the point, Nick, that Why for three they? years, for three years, we have had an open internet rule in place. Consumers have been protected. The networks have expanded their investment. The networks have had record profits and record stock prices. And if all those can happen together where the networks succeed and consumers are protected, that's a win-win kind of a situation. Okay, one second. I'm going to let Nick respond, but the two people whose names begin with M, we're not hearing yeah. very much from them. So please respond, Here, Nick, I, and then I, I want to bring this, in Michael and, and You know, uh, the open Internet era lasted for a couple of years. If you look at mostly, if you look at the increase in the number of connections, if you but, look but at the increase But take a second to remind people what you mean by that era, 2015 to 2018. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. beginning of this, this year. Uh, uh, you know, what you look, if you go back, if you take a trend line and you, you run it 10 years, 20 years, however, the increase in speed, the increase in availability keeps going up. The one thing that does change, and these are numbers, and I know Tom and I disagree about this, according to the U.S. Telecom Association, the actual investment flatlined in during the open Internet era because the regulations were not clear. It wasn't exactly what's going on, and this is what economic theory predicts. When you have vague regulations and you're not sure if they're going to stick around or if they're a good idea, you don't so put in John, as much. No, let, let me, I want to bring Mitchell into the conversation. Do you want to respond to that point? Because I do have another thing I want to move on to. Let's move on. Okay. I want to take your point about the potential bad behavior of companies when they're, when they're not, to some degree, limited by net neutrality. The things that you talked about, the, the discrimination, the blocking, the, uh, and, and the detrimental impact that you said that would have on innovation, to Michael Katz. So you, you heard a, a sort of very negative potential scenario. And, and I think, in fact, some examples... Uh, that support uh, Mitchell's case would be, you know, the time AT&T decided to, to block FaceTime because they didn't like people getting around their bills by using FaceTime, and they, they had to stop doing They did stop doing that. But that's an example of the kind of thing she's talking about, would, that the ISPs in a post-net neutrality world would be off to the races. I want to have you respond to that and then have Mitchell respond to what you say. Well, first off, um, I don't want to comment on a specific case because one of the things I've always said about antitrust cases and others is the people who know enough to talk about it know they have to keep quiet because they have confidential information. And the people who do talk about it are the people who know so little that they're free to do it. And that's not a slight... Mitchell, but I just don't want to get into the <laughs> specifics of it. I don't, you're not the one who brought it up. He did. did you say no, no, I just want to be no, clear. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'm not going uh, to... But, but to, no, to the degree okay. you're talking about the future... No, but I, let's talk about this thing about innovation, though, and this, the broader argument about permissionless innovation, but also this thing about specific... Because there, the allegation in that case that was that it was to block competition. Okay, but that's what the antitrust law. We don't have to talk about that case. Okay, that's what the antitrust law... He's talking about a sense of motives affecting behavior. But talking about 
you know, this whole thing it's talking about often saying, well, permissionless innovation. And this is really bad. To innovate, you know, you'll have to get the permission of the um, ISP. Well, you know what? You also have to get the permission of the electricity company. But that's not no, true, do. Mike. That's yeah. not it's even exactly close. It's exactly the same. There Wait, let's no talk about permission. what we're talking about. Today. Wait, hang on a second. I want to let, I wanna let, I wanna let Michael like, get through a point. Okay. You have to and then I would like to have your bill. Now, one thing. Here's the problem. With net neutrality, people just throw everything into it. I agree okay, that if a discrimination is that you say this particular company, all right, Just because of who you are, we're going to go after you. But the problem with net neutrality is it says, suppose I have something completely neutral that says, if you want to buy faster speed, you pay more. It doesn't matter who you are. Net neutrality makes that kind of tiered pricing, or what I'll call it variety, it makes that illegal. I agree with you. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Like I said, let, the ISP, let, let, 12 let, pounds ought to cost Tom, more than 10 pounds. Okay, um, let, but, let your but partner have neutrality says well, that you cannot buy faster access if you're a content provider. Mitchell. All right. I want to come back to a couple conversations. One, none of us goes to the power company to ask if we can build something that plugs into a socket. Right? You build something that's safe and is according to the safety specs. So the idea that we Great. ask for permission Great. with electricity. Okay. Where's the so, permission so, with the Internet? So let me finish. Second, to your point, which is about trust, or what do we think the companies are going to do? And that I think we should trust, expect the great businesses of America to pursue their business. And that we should trust companies to try and maximize their business, be successful, and maximize their profits. That's why they're businesses. That's what they are supposed to do. And so if we're going to trust them, that's what we should trust. And without net neutrality, we are being explicit that one way to maximize your business is these innovative business models that charge products or applications or new applications based on how profitable they are. Mm -hmm. So the fact they haven't done it yet... Well, the last few years have been under the open internet or, uh, order, and in the earlier days, like, it wasn't as easy. The technology to inspect applications and understand it wasn't as well deployed. So do you consider it kind of a foregone conclusion that given the chance to play these games, the ISPs are going to play these well, games? Well, without net neutrality, it is not a game. It is the law. Given a chance to maximize you will so. This parade of horribles is, at this point, hypothetical. Because you're saying, yeah, it's going to be down the road. It might, you even said in your opening statement, it might be uh, 10 years down the road. We'll see this. 10 this, years down the road, it becomes clear what has happened. Uh, just as no, but it is not happening. It did clear. not happen before the net neutrality rules were in place, and it has not started happening just yet. And think, you know, uh, uh, think, think about, um, we all know uh, whenever a new, a new media, a new medium comes out, people think, oh, it's all totally different. And so do you remember like the Craigslist killings, which, uh, you know, where somehow when old uh, people would get together in uh, personal ads and somebody would commit a crime on that, it was like, okay, that was one thing. But when it happened on Craigslist, because that was an online service, people were like, oh, my God, the Internet is evil, blah, blah, blah. There's this whole kind of Internet exceptionalism, which I think is at work in kind of your formulation. Oh, see, I of, think it's wait, 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 opposite. But, but of things, because what you're saying is that, say, Comcast does an ISP or a particular ISP, they are going to screw over anybody who competes with their own products. That would be like saying you go to Kroger or to a grocery store and why would Kroger ever sell anybody else's product? Why wouldn't they just sell house brand stuff? 
because that way they would keep all of the money for themselves. This isn't how business work. So, Nick, work. under that and theory. Cons- wait, I'm just saying. And no. customers have an ability to go elsewhere. Okay. When you're talking about, when you're Tom, talking Tom, about Tom imagining, imagine that under that theory, Verizon and AT&T would not have blocked Google Wallet, which they did because they had their own competitive service. Yeah. Under that, under that assumption, Verizon wouldn't have blocked a tethering app, which they did because and these? they wanted to charge you an extra 20 bucks these, a month how these to tether. How were these remedied? Because and, this happened but, but wait, before wait, the wait, open wait, wait, internet wait, order. Wait, so wait a minute. Wait a minute. When wait, problems wait. arise, there are ways hey, Nick, to Nick, I'll let you finish. Can I finish? Yeah. Okay. Actually, I'm going to start moderating now. And um, <laughs> that would be... <laughs> So I, I thought I was a few minutes ago, and then I certainly wasn't. So let's, let's have a little less interruption. You're, the floor is yours. But and, you, you've done a fair amount of interrupting, so I'm going to call you on that. So and, the floor is yours. And, and um, Verizon, let's go to what Verizon said before the court when they said, we are here appealing this FCC decision because we intend to discriminate. Michael but, Okay, but Tom, you know full well that, first off, even under common carrier regulation, discrimination is allowed. So this whole thing, like that any discrimination is bad, right, you know isn't true, even under common carrier. I want to make a couple other points. We have antitrust laws. If you're using monopoly power to st- destroy competition, there's a venue to do it. Our antitrust enforcement in the United States is the envy of the world. The other thing I want to do is bring little uh, commercial reality into this. This whole notion that, oh, we're going to discriminate against this poor startup that's trying to compete with Google or Netflix. Well, look at a couple of things. Who are the biggest proponents, literally and figuratively again, of net neutrality? Well, it's Google and Facebook and Netflix and Amazon. Now, are we supposed to believe that they're only in this because they want to help somebody else become the next big firm and put them out of business? No. Okay, let's... Let's also look at this. Think about this. Make yourself, you're the greediest ISP ever. All you want is money, 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 money. Now you're thinking, I'm going to discriminate. Now, who, against whom are you going to discriminate? You're going to go after a little startup, or you're going to try to figure out if you can charge Google, Facebook, and Amazon more money, right? It's like the old Willie Sutton okay. thing. You go, you know, if you're going to rob a bank, let's let, that's where the money this is. This is quality. Mitchell's right, like this thesis. Is a so let's classic, jump in. This jump is in. a classic piece of what happens in the net neutrality debate, is the question of, transmitting information to consumers gets all mixed up with the platforms that sit on top. And so Google or Amazon or Facebook, whatever it is they do, we ought to look at it. But it is not the same question as how does data get from your ISP to you. And we have to separate... But for listeners and viewers who who may at the moment be mixed up by that point, just lay it out. Sure. So when we talk about net neutrality, we're actually talking about the network itself, like the, you might, the physical part of how data moves, or maybe the airwaves you know, for part of it. But it's the physical network. Technically, the Internet sits on top of that, right? Because the Internet and the way we access data, it has to travel. Like the bits, the electrons have to move. And so it's that bit of transport of the the last bit of transport that goes to you, the consumer, that we're actually talking about. The Internet sits on top of that, and then what we call the platforms, Facebook, Google, they all sit on top of that on higher layers up. All the Internet, you know, exists in layers. And so net neutrality is the argument that the fundamental layer, the most physical layer, the way the bits actually move should be neutral. 
and that if it's not neutral, any time we try to address the layers above it, mm-hmm. we're dealing with a crooked foundation, and it can change at any okay, time. Okay, that's ex- so, completely yes. not the point I was just making. I agree with what you said, but my point is, look at Google, Facebook, and Amazon, just as self-interest companies, forget this thing about platforms, they are saying they're big fans of net neutrality, and I'm saying we need to ask ourselves why. Let me ask you a different question. I want to move on to just the, the, the question of free speech came up and differing views on, on whether net neutrality is good or bad for free speech. And, you know, people have written about, about social movements being able to get started under the era of net neutrality. They did get started, things like Black Lives Matter, et cetera. Yep. And the question comes up, would those social movements or any social movement fr- from the left or from the right, both of which uh, ha- ha- would face opposition, would they be less liable to be able to use that platform that that we all now take for granted. And I'll take it either to Tom or Mitchell first and then to the other side. I'll say there's two things. There's one, free speech for the ISPs, <laughs> you know, or free speech for the movements. And two, I think you can only answer that because they, the, each ISP has to make a decision of what is the best way to run its business? What is the most profitable way to run its business? In some cases, shutting out all competition isn't the most profitable because people get upset. In other cases, you can shut out a lot of competition. So the answer is, who knows? Okay. Who, like, okay. that's the problem with it. So I think Michael. this is, again, where there's just too much getting wrapped up all under the name of net neutrality. I'm willing to bet that if you asked ISPs, would you like to accept a rule that says you have to accept all legal content? You can't start engaging in censorship. And in return for that, and this is part of what common carrier regulation does, you're not responsible for what happens to it. And I think actually... And I know it's another layer. We may see this with Facebook. I think these companies would be happy to say, we can't start judging what goes based purely on the content as opposed to the nature of the bitstream just technically, you know, as a video or something. Because, look, it's a big pain. This country has a serious problem with speech. Part of it is we've got to make sure there's not limits on free speech. But part of it is we've got to figure out how to have limits on hate speech and misinformation. And we just have not come to grips with that. And so... I agree that it's a really serious problem, and I think we've got to deal with it at the ISP level. We've got to deal with it at the platform level. But that's not what most of net neutrality is about. But I do agree on that one. We, we don't want private censorship. I want to go to audience questions now. And again, just to remind you, if you raise your hand, please wait after I call on you for a microphone to come to you. And I would also ask you to stand up. And uh, right in the center there, uh, fourth row up, I think you're wearing a light blue sweater. Yeah. And... Yep, that's the right person I was calling on. Just wait for the mic, and if you could tell us your name. First name is okay, but if you want to do both, that would be great. Um, my name is Francis. Thank you. Um, I have a question for the foresight. So a typical grocery store discriminates across different cereal brands, for example. So some cereal are putting the better shelf spot, spots than others. So my question is, is that a justification for government to have a, say, cereal neutrality policy? Can thank I say you. one thing? That was a perfectly constructed question. So, <laughs> I, that, that's the model. Um, thank you so much. Um, so uh, it's an excellent question. Uh, unfortunately, um, if I don't like the cereal policy at Safeway, you know, I can go to another grocery store. But if I don't like the decisions that are being made by my internet service provider, I have no place to go. That's the difference. And I would add to that that you can go to many supermarkets 
you can go to you know you can go to many different supermarkets at the same day. Like a lot of us will go to the fruit store, the farmers market, and get right. fresh fruit, and then you can go someplace else and get cereal. But your ISP doesn't work that way. You don't have three connections so that you can get to everything that you want to. And so the nature of the network and the complexity of getting something out to you, that you as a consumer don't have that kind of variety and can't really build it into your lives in the same way. Mm. So that's why the telecommunications is not the same. Nicholas. Yeah, if, if I can just uh, debate that a bit. Uh, first off, again, most people have at least two choices for a, a quality connection. Or, you know what, use your phone then because your mobile carrier is separate uh, and mobile carriers are going bigger. Uh, when Michael's talking about 5G, there is more competition and by the way, net neutrality doesn't do anything to increase competition among ISPs. This is where it's a, a major problem to me. Uh, you know, we're acting as if the Internet as it exists now or actually 10 years ago is the way it will always exist. If we want more competition and if we want more ISPs, we should be pursuing policies that allow, it, uh, allow that to happen. And that is never a conversation about net neutrality. In fact, in an interview I read in preparing for this, Tom said, you know, because, uh, you know, there's limits on what we can do with ISPs, you know, we have to regulate them as common carriers. That's, that's backwards. But, but, but they're not, they are not arguing that net neutrality would create more competition. They're saying that in a world not, where there, I mean, where there is lack of competition. Right. right. But my point is, is that we have competition and we should be, instead of worrying about hypotheticals, that might happen, you know, right. 10 years down the road. We should be blowing up. But you're counting slower speeds, which would mean going to a supermarket and moving very slowly. Yes, yeah. it, no, would but, be, uh, it would uh, be uh, where there's no, there's no uh, uh, you know, quick checkout. Wait, this, let me take this. Let's Michael, not, yeah. let's not forget antitrust laws. This is not just a hypothetical. There, in fact, have been antitrust cases about slotting allowances and allegations that firms have you know, paid supermarkets money to push their competitors' products out of there. And we have a mechanism for looking at that if it's actually a legitimate competitive problem. Okay, let's go to another and question. I think right down front lies the Internet. I just want to, uh, right, very front row, uh, I mean the, the, the added seats on the, on the stage front row. Yeah. Sir, if you stand up, it'd be easier because yeah. your back is too, thanks. And uh, I just want to make sure a camera, yeah, okay. Hello, my name is Martin O'Shield. I'm with an entity called Windy City SDR. Um, I'm a member of Facebook's Telecom Infrastructure Project. I report to Menlo Park. And what you had stated earlier with regard to Facebook having proprietary hardware is a complete lie. Uh, there's the Open Compute Project. Everybody can Google search that right now. They okay. open source all their hardware okay. as well as... Um, okay, it's a, it's, uh, you made your point, and it's got a little bit more negative tone than we want. I just want to ask... No, let me actually you make a correct. No, let me make a correct. Okay. okay. But the point is... I, you're and, right. and I just Facebook want to say, in the, to make in the, in the spirit of things you can say, I don't think your facts are correct. No, I'm going to say... It's a complete lie. Okay. All right. It's not a complete, all right. It's not a complete lie. Is it a partial I, lie? I misspoke. It is true that Facebook... <laughs> I did say misspoke because Facebook okay. has made a Thank lot you. of the technology open, has made it open source. But the fact of the matter is Facebook... Right, does spend a lot of money so that it can have faster connections between its data centers than the rest of us. Okay, another question. Um, I rarely get to the back because I just can't see, so I'm going to make an effort. There's a gentleman on the aisle about three seats down from the top, and it might help if you came down a few steps just so, so that the brighter light would hit you so we could see you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Jonathan, and I, have a, I wanted to address the, the security and privacy-related aspects of net neutrality. So what we'll find is that 
with encryption, it encrypts everything except the IP address because the IP address is all you need to deliver the packets. And my question is, um, a lot of times you can't determine the nature of the app, and so you can't discriminate uh, without net neutrality, without necessarily peeling back those layers. And so let's just assume that uh, that we're going to throw you, out could net you, neutrality. Could, could you bring it in for a question? Yeah. Yeah. So what... Is the security impact of stripping away encryption to tell where to discriminate worth the business opportunities that would create for ISPs? I just don't understand the question. Am I? Yeah. No, no, no. I, but yeah. maybe the experts here do. Yeah, so Mitchell, one you of do? the things... Can you, let's see if I can get to it kind can of you, quickly. Can you tell me what the question... I mean, sure, we just rephrase sure, it for sure, me. Sure. So the question is, how is it that the ISP knows what the application is? Like, what if it's going to discriminate... Oh, how could it discriminate without... How, how does it know... How does it know? So your ISP now, uh-huh. um, in the early days, it was harder to know. There's a technology or a set of technologies generally called deep packet inspection. Since you know the answer to this, what this right. question means, is it relevant to the debate we're having about whether net neutrality should be preserved or not? Or is it kind of a side issue? Because I'd rather uh, move on if it is. I, I would say the, the, the question, there's, there's a related but separate question of can the ISPs do all this deep packet inspection whether for okay. business purposes I or, feel that we've got, like, discussed the dynamics of that, so I'd rather move on to another question rather than spend two or three minutes on it. Um, and you're wearing a sports jacket? Yep. Yeah. Thanks. But no. I would say no if I could ask <laughs> okay. this question. Well, actually, like, I may say, can I give a non-technical part? I mean, it would be, not be good. Uh, my name is right Matthew. Um, I have a question for the against side. Uh, the... Uh, you mentioned 5G rollout. Um, would net neutrality rules actually reduce the speed of rollout of 5G? And if so, you know, well, if not, is, why is that relevant? Okay, great, because yep. that goes to the question of whether net neutrality is good or bad for innovation. Who would like to take that? So Michael I'll, Katz. So I'll say a couple of things. First off, and the reason I brought up 5G, though, is just this point. is once we're going to have multiple very high-speed providers, I think this whole debate about, well, what happened you know, five years ago, four years ago, whatever... Um, this really becomes irrelevant. We need to be looking forward. Now, as to this question of how big the, the incentive effects are, is, look, we're going to get 5G in urban areas, whether we have net neutrality or not. And also, I guess I disagree with everybody, even on the history of what have we learned from what we've seen so far. We don't know what we've seen so far. Some years we have net neutrality. It's a model. We know it's going to get challenged in court and probably overturned. Some years we don't have it. We know next time there's a change of administration, it's coming back. So we really haven't had a, a certain environment. But I do think we know enough to know that at the margins, it is going to make a difference. So you're right. If you live in Chicago, it's probably not going to make any difference whether we have it or not, whether you get 5G. But if you start living in rural areas, it could matter. Okay. Another question? Uh, the front row here. Yes. I want to talk about that. Hi, my name is Nell Minow. Um, and my question is that it seems to me um, a crucial difference of opinion about the facts is really the big dividing line between the two of you, and that's about how many ISPs are available. So, hypothetically, if only one ISP was available, would the antis change their mind? And hypothetically, if there were 500 available, would the pros change their mind? I love that question. Thank you. (laughs) Um, 
I, I, I was going to ask this side that earlier. I hadn't sure. thought to ask that side. So let's take it to the side against. If indeed there was just one, every place, would the net neutrality rules be something you would support? Yeah, I think what, we would, uh, what I would wait to see is what is the behavior that's going on. Because uh, there's a political scientist named John Mueller who wrote a book called uh, Democracy, Socialism, and Ralph's Pretty Good Grocery. Uh, one of the points that he made in that is even regulated monopolies at times, depending, and there's a lot of things that go into this, but they have to respond as if they are in a competitive marketplace because they could either be regulated more harshly or they could be so awful that they actually generate a new way of workaround. And you think about something like taxi commissions. Uber came around and basically routed around them and destroyed the idea of a taxi. Uh, you know, a, a typical taxi cab service, always state-operated uh, you know, state or state-regulated and whatnot. So it would depend. Um, but if, so maybe if it, yes. Yeah, maybe yes. If it turned out that they were discriminating, uh, blocking sites and doing things like that. Let's take it yeah. to the other side. If there were 500 ISPs that we had to choose from, would you be still arguing for net neutrality? Well, I have a maybe yes, too. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe yes. And that depends on whether or not you can switch your devices or your carriers. Mm-hmm. So if, if the architecture changes and there's 500 different carriers and it's easy for me to move from one to another, maybe then I would be okay with no net neutrality. But let's, let's take the closer case for now. Say there's five. You know, one's your AT&T carrier, and it's got its content band, and that's what you can get. One's your Verizon carrier, and it's got its content band. One's your Comcast carrier, and it's got its content. Like, you actually can't switch. You're going to have three phones. You know, how are you actually going to do things? So in a, more, in a closer setting, when, the, when there's a few and you can't really switch, once mm. you've bought your phone, which are still expensive, right. you're stuck for a while. Uh, and if you even have a contract, you're really stuck. So in the short term, there are some mobile providers. I'd still say we need net neutrality. If you get to 500 and I can have multiples at a time, that's a case where you'd want to look up and, uh, and reevaluate. Oh, wait, wait. Nick, you can see. Let me see because you, oh, you and I have different views on this. I think if you have a monopoly provider, what that means is antitrust authorities should look at it very carefully to make sure it's harming competition. I think that a lot of the baggage in net neutrality still would be a mistake. Right, the extent that what it's doing is it's limiting the ability of um, content providers and websites to provide or purchase higher speed access to um, the customers. I think that's a bad idea, whether it's a monopolist or whether you have a bunch of competitors. I think variety is good. But I would be worried about things that could happen in terms of anti-competitive actions, but that's what antitrust is for. Okay. Can I ask just sure. with mobile carriers, because the, and this is something over the past few years for a variety of reasons, there is massive competition against uh, you know, uh, mobile carriers. Um, do you see, uh, is T-Mobile blocking certain content because it would compete with its own content against Verizon or AT&T? I mean, wouldn't it Tom, be happening already? Tom, why don't you take this? So, so, I mean, there's two issues here, Nick. One is that there's very little traffic back and forth. There's about 1% a month of anybody who changes and goes over to another wireless carrier. No, no, that's not because, my question. Because of, uh, just because of the tying arrangements that exist. Wait, how do you know that? that how do you know it's not just they're happy with their wireless it's, carrier? It's a, because... You know, and I know, Michael, because we've both sat with the companies as they've schemed and connived and said, how do I get the other guy? But T-Mobile will pay me to the issue pay is, off my the problem. Here's, here's one of the problems, and we were dealing with it you know, when, we, when we left office. So AT&T owns DirecTV, mm-hmm. and they also 
are, you know, the largest, you know, internet provider. And, um, and so they say, tell you what. Wait, wait, largest. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. That's, I'm but that's sorry. false. You know what? Hold it. They're not. You're right. Fact check. Yeah, sorry. You're correct. Yeah, you just misspoke. Thank you, Michael. Liar. In other words, exactly. he's a total liar. No, I, you know, I, I would never question the facts of Michael yeah. Katz. How he applies them is something else sometimes. <laughs> but, but, the, um, but, but AT&T has said, AT&T Mobile has said that they will deliver DirecTV, which they own, for free to your wireless device. But if you are... A dish subscriber, no, you've you got to pay the data rates. And so what they're doing is they're using their control of the network to favor a content service that they own and disfavor a competitor. And I think you have to ask the question, is that free and fair competition? Uh, well, I mean, my, my question is, though, they're not blocking it, and it's a subscription service. So if it gets rolled into AT&T, your cost of the AT&T They're discriminating. Phone. They're discriminating. No, but, but they're not blocking. But, so, right? But are no, they, no, because what, what I'm are saying— Are they discriminating, Nick? Well, what I'm saying is— Are they discriminating? So if you buy an— if you maybe, buy, maybe they're discriminating no. a little bit? No, no. Here, think about it this way. If you are an AT&T customer, you get DirecTV for free. I mean, that's like kind of a good deal. Maybe that's why I'll buy an AT&T phone rather than a T-Mobile or a Verizon. But what I'm saying is, is that you're saying we have a robust market for uh, mobile data, you know, among the, di- the different people. Everything is now unlimited data, but... You know, they're not going out of their way to screw over each other by saying, you know what, if you have a Sprint phone, you're not getting all of this content. We're, we're not going to let you have it. I so, mean, you know, the interesting me. thing, the interesting I, thing I, actually, about... Actually, I, I, want, I want to move on. We're going a little bit down our yeah. uh, circular in that one. And uh, <laughs> far up... Yeah, you're alone up there. So you stand up. Uh, thanks. And uh, let the mic come up to you up the aisle. Thanks. I wish you guys could be more passionate about this. I mean, like, like, really tell us what you think. Hi there. My name is Derek Jones. I'm a third-year JD MBA student here at Northwestern. Uh, I'm just wondering, um, could you please talk about some examples from other countries that have similar or different net neutrality laws, just to kind of give us a picture of what next week is going to look like? Mitchell, you want to take that? You're familiar with, uh, I, I believe, with uh, European laws and, and, and yeah. overall scheme. Here. Yeah, so I'm not... Yeah. Well, Not an expert, but you have a good There's a couple of different you know, kinds of examples of whether it's discrimination or blocking. I'll, I'll take, for example, in, in Canada when an ISP was having labor disputes with its workers and ended up blocking the websites that the workers used to organize, for, for example. So there's the kinds of examples of discrimination or blocking, and then there's the different regulatory schemes. And so we've seen that Europe has adopted, uh, is further along on the net neutrality piece, so we'll see that as an example. But um, certainly with the arrival of new networks and, and 5G rollout, that is, um, that is the occasion in which the mobile network operators are using to raise net neutrality again. And so it's actually, you know, an example there as well. We are seeing, say, from Brazil and India, you know, interest and leadership and and not waiting. 
Um, not waiting in what sense? Not waiting, to, not waiting to see what's happening elsewhere and not waiting for examples. So, so they're, look, they're instituting net neutrality yes, rules. Exactly. Let's, let's see, see if the other side has any response to what's happening overseas. No? Not particularly. So I think the okay. reality of overseas is that um, in most developed countries, the cost per megabit is lower than in the United States and the throughput is higher because the government has taken a role. I, the only thing I'll say to that is that the, these are the types of things where there are many interpretations of that. The geography of the United States also plays into a factor. And if you look at places uh, like Chicago, New York, uh, San Francisco that are densely populated, and you compare them to relevant parts of Europe, pretty much the, everything is similar. Okay. Uh, over on the... Far side. Thank you. Um, my name is Patrick. I work in tech. Uh, so, what's been somewhat absent from this debate has come up a couple times is uh, power utilities, electric utilities. So, I'm wondering if there are any lessons from deregulated states, or you know, there's a uh, difference between who owns the wires and who puts electrons on the wires that we could potentially apply to this debate. This is for either side. Could you repeat that? You're, you're saying what have we kind of learned from deregulation of electricity? Did, did, it, did it lead to more innovation or to more harm to the consumer, more choice, less choice? Is that sort of the sense of it? What's the lesson from, from, a, from an so industry? It's a natural monopoly in the same way that we're arguing yeah. if ISPs are not. And then also, you know, uh, I can be a company that can sell. There's no discrimination of who can put electrons on the wire. Right. Right, which is kind of the same level. You know, I, 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 my feeling is we've kind of we've kind of explored the like a utility or not like a utility question a little bit in the beginning. So I'm, I'm going to pass on it. But thanks very much for the for the question. It's a le- legitimate question. Right down in front, uh, front the very front row, uh, again on the stage seat. Thanks for standing up. My name is August Hutchinson, interloper from University of Chicago. <laughs> And uh, my question is for both sides. Um, Since the topic of content discrimination and free speech has come up, and since we're at a law school, um, I was hoping both sides could speak to um, the potential First Amendment and legal implications um, of net neutrality, either it's... Yeah, I'm I'm interested. Are there First Amendment implications? I'll take that to you, Michael Katz. So I don't... Sorry, I just... I have to ask a lawyer because I just don't have um, views okay. on the issue of commercial free speech and whether it's impinging on the ISP. All right. I mean, it, it, it's perfectly respectable to say I actually don't know that topic, so I'm going to pass, and I respect that rather than chewing up a lot of time blathering. So thank you. <laughs> I respect that. <laughs> thank you. Let's take it to the other side if you'd like to, if there is, if there is an answer, because, yeah. Tom, you are so, a lawyer. So, no, I'm not. Oh, sorry. Uh, your, co- your colleague is the lawyer. No, I'm not. Please. Uh, <laughs> You know where we are, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the, you know, it's interesting. Today I was reading as I flew out here um, a headline in Adweek that says, quote, as TV viewing habits change, local broadcasters turn to streaming over the net, over the You're getting internet. to the First Amendment question on that? Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. the First Amendment. <laughs> okay. and, so the, and, so, and so here we have this basic voice of democracy. And the question is, will somebody be in a position to say, no, 
or I will make choices as to this person or this party or how they, they I charge them or whatever. We addressed this once before in cable television, interestingly enough. The folks who have the cable side of the broadband pipe and the government said to them, you must carry the local TV station to make sure that there is a diversity of voices and economic underpinning so that there can be this kind of First Amendment uh, expression. And, and the net neutrality says that you have to have the same kinds of protections for expressions such as streaming a local newscast. Wait, I said I'm not a lawyer, but I do know this much about the Constitution. The First Amendment (laughs) is about government. It's blocking government restriction of free speech. The First Amendment says nothing about whether an ISP as a private entity can do it. So that's, it's not a First Amendment issue. It may, it may be no, a free well, speech are, issue. Are, it may be a free speech issue, but it's not a First Amendment issue. Mitchell, Mitchell, I was, Mitchell, I was going to say, there are real issues of what is a public space. And are there public spaces and commercial spaces? Well, no, I agree. So, but like, the, the, to but say there's then, no issue is probably... So, no, to the, extent, the question was about the First To the extent that we're talking about that, I, I do think, you know, I see net neutrality as a, a kind of... Uh, part of uh, uh, of an attack on free speech because what what it is doing it is saying that the government will be more involved in controlling and regulating what happens. The government has a very bad record. The FCC, in particular, has a very bad record of allowing free speech. The government is not interested in free speech. The government is interested in controlling speech. The Communications Decency Act from the mid '90s. Uh, one of one of the great things in that, which immunized. Well, yeah, which immunized uh, uh, websites and publishers online from uh, getting in trouble for things that their commenters said or things that got posted to them, that is being weakened. That was just weakened by a law that is supposed to stop sex trafficking. We are in a, a low-grade war against the, the First Amendment. Um, and any time the government says, we need to step in in order to protect speech, uh, we have to protect you against hate speech, we have to protect you against sex trafficking, we have to prevent you against this, that, or the other thing, obscenity, you should be very scared. And net neutrality plays into that by giving the government in the form of the FCC more power to say, you can do this or this, but we get to pick. Tom, hang on just one second. I... I, I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion, preserve net neutrality, all data is created equal. Tom Wheeler. So, Nick, my question then becomes to you. What is a libertarian to do when... <laughs> what is a libertarian to do when the restraint on freedom comes from a non-government actor? Yeah, it's it's an excellent question, and I would be among uh, the first to say, you know, that government power or state power is not the only power. Corporations have massive power. Amazon has power. Amazon and the failing Washington Post has power, et cetera. Um, 
what, what I see happening online, and I say this as a journalist, Reason Magazine is in its 50th year, um, with the rise of the Internet, our reach and our scope and our visibility, our influence has grown massively because we can get to more people at a lower cost. I am very invested in a free and open Internet that allows people to say whatever the whatever – I was going to curse, but I was told not to because this is PBS, which goes over the air, so it's controlled by the FCC. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I'm very invested in all of this. And what you do is you speak out. And this is why ISPs to date have not been at the forefront of shutting down speech that they do not like. They don't block on a regular basis. They don't block sites. So wait a minute. They don't, don't, don't wait, block. don't you feel better for not having cursed? Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Com- right. So Comcast, Comcast didn't block the speech of BitTorrent. Uh, they did, and they okay. they got in some wait wait and, they didn't wait. they didn't block the speech they blocked the practice. But Tom, we also know, and I say this as somebody who's BitTorrent. Here is something I'll admit to being a uh, criminal. I download uh, unauthorized copies of movies using BitTorrent. The reason Comcast was doing that, that was not the, no, is this was legal content. But it's also 95 percent of BitTorrent Nick, content. Don't re- is, don't recharacterize what what happened here. Legal content. Was, stu- was, was slowed down by Comcast legal content because of the fact that it was competing with their cable service. How was that they resolved? Did and then how they was went, that resolved, Tom? The FCC said, don't right. do it. How, and how did that, what year was that? 2007, decided in 2010, and then Comcast right. went to court and said to the court, you cannot tell us not to discriminate. If Comcast says what? to the court, you can't tell us not to discriminate. If Verizon says to the court, you can't tell us not to discriminate. If Comcast, AT&T, and everybody else amends their Internet practices to say, well, we once said we weren't going to have paid prioritization, but now we're going to start waffling on that. What does that tell you about what the reality is? Two quick things. One is, is paid prioritization always a terrible thing? Is there no possibility that I might want to buy paid prioritization? Secondly, if Comcast is doing that, then my other ISP will likely compete for that customer by saying, you know what, bit torn away. And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is preserve net neutrality. All data is created equal. And now we move on to round three. Round three are brief closing statements by each debater in turn. They will be two minutes each. This is your last chance. This is their last chance to try to change your minds to vote for their side. And right after these opening sta- uh, closing statements, you'll be asked to vote a second time and choose the winner. And that'll be in just a few minutes from now. So on to round three. Again, you would make your way to the floor. Speaking in support of the motion, in his closing statement, Tom Wheeler, former chairman of the FCC. Thank you very much, John, and um, our worthy opponents. Uh, this has been fun, but with all due respect, I don't think that you have made your case. Uh, that, that we've talked a lot about, uh, about economic theory, um, but the reality is that networks uh, have big power and consumers have little choice. You can't get around that by defining digital down. You can't sit here and talk about the future in 5G and then talk about yesterday with 10 megabits. 
America demands first-rate Internet service. We've had three years of success under the open Internet rule where the companies prospered and consumers prospered. Race ipsa, that's it. The facts do speak for themselves. But I want to tell you the reason we deal with policy is that policy is about people. And one of the things that I learned when I was at the commission, because I got to deal with a lot of people on this issue, and the innovators that would come to me and say, we need to have open access so we can reach the market with our new ideas. The teachers who would come to me and say, our students need to be able to reach the world of innovation, the world of information. The artisans, like the ladies who make handicrafts to support their family and sell them on Etsy, they all had the same message, and that is, we could be crushed by the big dogs coming in, paying cash to get preferential treatment. We need equality of opportunity, equality of opportunity, which is based on equality of access. And that's why we urge you to join the 83% of Americans who in a recent poll said they support net neutrality and oppose its repeal and support this motion tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Tom Wheeler. Again, that motion is preserve net neutrality. All data is created equal. Here making his closing against the motion, Nick Gillespie, editor-at-large of Reason. I, I, you know, I, I have to say Tom's heart-wrenching story really changed my mind that, you know, women, you know, and I'm, I'm assuming that they're development, maybe developmentally challenged or they have rickets and they're knitting little baby booties. And the only thing keeping them alive is net neutrality, which... <laughs> has not existed for virtually all of the Internet's life. I mean, that's, it's, it's a nice story, but it's ridiculous. Uh, as, and it's also ridiculous to say there are ISPs who are big ogres, and then there's just all of us. And we have no power. They have all the power because there are the people that Mike, Michael was talking about. There's Amazon, there's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's YouTube, there's Google and Google's parent company and their parent company and their parent company. We have a very good functioning internet, and it's getting better all of the time. It's got better before there was open internet or the net neutrality rules that Tom put into place. It's getting better since then. I want to remind you that, you know, what Ajit Pai said, net neutrality is a solution that won't work to a problem that doesn't exist. The solutions that gets proffered by it is always to take free things away from people, So if you were on T-Mobile and you had binge on, that was considered a violation of net neutrality. Why should you get get data that is not counted against your monthly cap? Metro PCS, a weak carrier, a weak carrier, yep, a weak carrier uh, that allowed you to watch YouTube. That was a problem. These are the things that, let me put it this way, supporters of net neutrality are constantly, Supporters of net neutrality constantly point to zero-rated plans as problematic. So, again, net neutrality, a solution that won't work to a problem that doesn't exist. If you think the government is going to guarantee better quality, better service, and free speech, um, I think I'm moving to Canada. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nick Gillespie. 
The motion again, preserve net neutrality. All data is created equal. And here, making her closing statement in support of the motion, Mitchell Baker, chairwoman of Mozilla. I want to start by noting my partner's uh, extreme disagreement with the statements about Ben John <laughs> to begin with. Uh, and I, we don't have time uh, to go into that in detail. So, you know, Mozilla and our work in Firefox would not be here without net neutrality. We first built Firefox in 2004 as a nonprofit. By definition, our goal is not maximizing revenue, not for ourselves, not for the ISPs, not for anyone else. We were building a product everyone knew was irrelevant, and we were challenging the tech giant of its time, Microsoft, which was essentially Google, Apple, Amazon, all rolled into one. We were open source, which was very freaky at its time. We had no money for marketing. We had no money for distribution. And we were building the internet as a public asset, something that was crazy for its time. We were not anyone's model of an attractive business partner. But we had one thing going for us, along with our product. We had the open internet. We were able to offer our product, and we were able to make it fast. We were able to make our download fast, which is more important than you would ever think in trying to get a product adopted. And we were able to make our download fast without worrying about what ISPs around the world would decide and whether their delivery practices would ruin our product. Without the open internet, we wouldn't have had a chance. And the opportunity of the open internet should be for all of us. Innovative business practices, innovative solutions should be distributed, and each of us should have the opportunity without going through the gatekeeper of our ISP. And so we urge you, support the motion, preserve net neutrality. Thank you. Thank you, Mitchell Baker. And that is the motion, preserve net neutrality, all data is created equal. And here to make his closing argument against this motion, Michael Katz, professor at UC Berkeley and former FCC chief economist. So first of all, I want to start by thanking uh, Tom and Mitchell. It really has been a privilege um, to debate with you. There's certainly been disagreement, but this, it really has been an honor. Now, this is my first time doing an Intelligence Squared debate, and so the organizer told me, look, the way you finish, the way you win is you've got to ask people, in my case, you've got to vote against the motion. Ask everyone to vote against it. Well, I'm not going to ask you all to vote against it because I'm an economist and I think you should respect your preferences. Okay? <laughs> so look, here's the thing. Some of you should vote for the resolution. If you believe the best way to protect freedom of speech is to give Donald Trump more power over the Internet and the media's access, then vote for the resolution. Okay? If you believe... The, the applause doesn't. Great, one thing. The applause doesn't count against my time. Does no, it? I, I, I'm going to have to take it down a level. Um, okay. If you believe the best way to protect competition is to make it illegal to compete by offering your customers a better product and a better deal, again, vote for the resolution. If you think that the way to level the playing field, wait, somebody hold him back. The way to hold, level the playing field is to make sure that the very largest, the richest companies the world has ever seen should be able to have preferential access because they can afford to build their own internet, then again, vote for the resolution, okay? If you believe that apps and content providers should not be allowed to try to subsidize access for low-income consumers, again, it's clear, vote for the resolution, Okay? And if you believe 
that a good multiplayer shooting gaming experience is as important, maybe more important, than uh, successful telesurgery. Then again, vote for the resolution. But here's the thing. I hope there's some others in the room still. Okay? If you believe in free speech, and you believe in competition, and you believe in consumer choice, and if you want to bridge the digital divide by seeing lower-cost Internet access out there for low-income consumers and in rural areas, and most importantly, if you believe that saving a real life is more important than killing a virtual Nazi, then you should vote against the resolution. <laughs> Thank you. Michael Katz. And now it's time to learn which side you feel has argued the best. We're going to ask you again to vote using your cell phone. Go to the iq2us.org site forward slash vote, iq2us.org forward slash vote to cast your second vote. Again, the instructions will be on the screen. You can uh, vote for or against or undecided if you moved into or stayed in that category. Um, and while, uh, while we're, we're, that we're calculating our votes, it takes us just a few minutes. The first thing I want to say is uh, uh, you all really came here to compete, and uh, that was really obvious, and we really appreciate that, but we mostly appreciate how you did it with respect, and, 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 and even what you, you're saying, Michael, what an honor it was to debate these opponents. That's exactly the spirit we're trying to capture. So I want to thank all of you for the spirit in which you did this. I also want to thank everybody who got up and asked a question, and that includes the questions that I passed on that you respectfully let me move on. Um, that's just a, a choice and judgment I'm making in the motion. There's, I hope no disrespect was taken in any way. I think it takes a lot of guts to get up and ask a question. The first one you was a spectacularly phrased question, and we heard some other ones. But to everybody who, who raised their hand, thank you very much for participating in that way. And I also, I need again to, to thank uh, Newt Minow and, and, and Joe Minow for, for your partnership in this and Northwestern uh, University School of Law. I said it at the beginning, but you've been spectacularly good to work with. It's been an honor for us, so thank you again very, very much. I also want to thank our chairman, Robert Rosencrantz. He's not here tonight. He wasn't able to be here, uh, and he, he is the reason that uh, we've been able to put this on. Intelligence Squared actually functions as a philanthropy, and um, he, he is its founder, uh, and it's uh, unquestionably its inspiration and chief supporter. But we also uh, we would very much appreciate uh, anybody who wants to support us. Just go to our website, and you'll find a way to donate. Uh, it'll keep us going. We're intending to grow and keep going and to get to more cities, and uh, your support would be really critical to us. One thing that I do want to do before we move on, just to get a sense of, of how ideas, we're going to hear how you and your audience changed their minds, but I'm just curious, among the four of you, in the course of the evening tonight, did you hear anything from your opponents that, that gave you pause and you said, actually... They kind of have a good point about that one, and I might have to, I might have to digest that and, uh, and work it into my arguing about this in the future. Nick, you yeah. seem to have the, the biggest nod going on. I, uh, uh, you know, uh, one of the things uh, that uh, is very helpful in, in, in debating tonight was the idea that uh, there are remedies, there are legal remedies to business practices. A, a lot of libertarians are, are extremely dogmatic or doctrinaire in saying that there should be no rules whatsoever. But in fact, one of the things that's interesting, and I think in some of the cases you brought up of, of bad behavior on ISPs, the ways in which those were handled um, using sometimes antitrust or other types of, uh, uh, you know, Ajit Pai is actually talking about using the Federal Trade Commission would be a better place 
to adjudicate a lot of claims. I think that's worth thinking about and worth uh, taking really seriously. Anybody else hear anything? Yeah, I, I got to tell you that you know Somewhere. Nick is always stimulating. This is the this is the second time that he and I have had exchanges, and I suspect it might be the last. And and <laughs> and, uh, and and Mike, uh, you know, I mean, I've known. Michael, for years and years, and sometimes we've been on the same side, and sometimes we've been on opposite sides, and I like being on the same side a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> but look, one other thing I think comes out of this, though, is when you try to have a serious debate, is there are areas of agreement, and it's actually, I think, one of the things that is very frustrating about the net neutrality debate is net neutrality ends up being so many, meaning so many different things to so many different people, and that we lump all these things together, because, for example, you know, this, the, the concerns about censorship is one I have, it's just, think about are there other ways to do it, but I, that's why, again, why I meant it when I said it was a but privilege just, to have just, this Just so these people don't go away misinformed. It is legal under uh, open Internet to prioritize a medical application, emergency applications, public health applications, um, and um, because of, you know, but, their importance to overall society. Okay, so, I mean, we actually bring up something else because I, you know. You know I, before you yeah, do. No, the same, no, it's this point. I want to agree well, with him. I just want to hear want from to Mitchell while we have forward. time. So okay. then I'll come back okay, to you. Okay, then I want to make a point. And, do, and Mitchell, the answer does not have to be yes. I'm not trying to create a kumbaya moment here. I'm just curious <laughs> to know. Well, you know, I am feeling I need to confess perhaps to a moment of bad citizenship here uh, because I'm not sure. I heard some things that confused me or connections that I didn't understand, like how all information just gets treated equal ends up being the government making some information unequal. But I, I haven't yet changed my it's mind. It's called Title II. <laughs> <laughs> okay. what? But I will say that the value of humor is really excellent. That is one thing I think we all, could all agree on. And I certainly learned a lot about that. Okay. Uh, one other Which thing. I'm trying to learn. No, I mean, that was not fame right. praise. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you okay. 15, 15 seconds. But, yeah, but Mitchell, that's exactly the point. The problem is there's some things in that neutrality, but in Title II's got a lot of other stuff, and that's where it comes. Okay. But back, some, a point that Tom wanted you to make, I'll make it for him. The FCC <laughs> did not say that Ben John, as Tom wanted to say, did not say it's illegal. Now, of course, I'm not bringing this up just to be nice, but I think that's part of the problem because net neutrality supporters, as Nick said, did say it should be illegal. And to the FCC's okay. credit, it's well, okay, right. it's actually not so bad. Okay, Let's but we, we don't need to debate anymore. We're, we're <laughs> yeah, we do. I want to let you know, speaking of debates, more debates this Saturday, we're going to be back in New York City. We're going to be debating uh, on Bitcoin, whether it's a bubble or here to stay, with Overstock CEO Patrick Byrne, Venture Capital. Capitalist Tim Draper, law professor Eric Posner, and the Financial Times' Jillian Tett. After that, we're going to be in Washington, D.C. for a debate in partnership with George, Georgetown Law School on whether or not negotiations can lead to the denuclearization of North Korea. And in June, we'll be hosting two debates at the Aspen Ideas Festival. Again, you can go to our website, iq2us.org, or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. I have the results. Again, the way this works, it's the numbers, it's the, it's the difference between the first and the second vote. The team whose numbers have gone up the most in percentage points will be declared our winner. Again, the motion is this, preserve net neutrality, all data is created equal. Before the motion, in polling the live audience here in Chicago, 60% agreed with the motion, 23% were against, 17% were undecided. Again, those are the first results, the difference is with the second vote, the, the, what counts is the difference between the first and the second vote. In the second vote, the team arguing for the motion, preserve net neutrality, all data is created equal. Their first vote was 60%. Their second vote was 60%. They stayed the same. 
They stayed the same. Let's see how the against side did. Their first vote was 23%. Their second vote, 31%. They went up 8 percentage points. That is enough. It means the team arguing against the motion, preserve net neutrality, is our winner. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Chicago. Thank you, Northwestern. <laughs>